So if you're new to Greater Alton or if this is your first time here, my name is Alan. I am not the guy that normally does the preaching. But if you look around, you'll notice that there's a lot of empty seats here, more than normal. Our marriage retreat was this past weekend, and we had 27 couples that we know had rooms and stayed the night. And so they're away from us. And that's quite a few people. Makes a makes a difference, makes a dent. So next week, Tim is going to be starting a brand new series on decisions. How to make decisions that make a difference. And we were talking about this this past week, about the challenges and the opportunities that such a, a series of lessons could present. And he asked me if I would fill in this morning and talk. And he wanted me to talk about uh, the verse that... In John 8, where Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Have you guys, are you familiar with that one? Have you heard that one? The truth will set you free is actually, I think, one of the best known quotes from the Bible. You'll hear it in movies. You'll hear it in random conversations all the time. Have you heard people throw that one out? The truth will set you free. And the people that quote it, Many of them have no idea that that quote comes from the Bible, much less that it was just something that Jesus said. But it sort of makes sense, doesn't it, that the truth would set you free. Anybody here ever labored under a false idea? Has anybody here ever kept you in the dark about something? Did it give them a certain power over you? Yeah, laboring under a lie, living under a lie is a dark place to be. So the truth has the potential to set you free. But why is this phrase, this this quote, so popular in our society? I think it's quoted so often because our world is actually hungry for the truth. Right? There's a lot of debate right now about what truth is. But yet there seems to be this universal struggle, this desire to find the truth, to know the truth. Because we sense that if we knew the truth, we wouldn't be tied to a lie. And that it would be better to know the truth. And at the same time that we recognize the need for truth, it's pretty difficult finding it sometimes, isn't it? And even if we find it, we may not recognize it as the truth. Have you ever been there where you didn't see the truth for a while? Someone tried to point it out to you or it was staring you in the face and you didn't recognize it. I used to trust cable news to tell me the truth about current events. Does anybody trust cable news to tell them the truth about it? It's I don't know which one to listen to these days. I mean, I bet you've had the same experience where something big happens in our world and you go to CNN and you see their coverage and you listen, you go, "Uh uh-huh. And then you switch over to Fox and you go, "Uh uh-huh. And they're covering it. And then you go to MSNBC, they're also covering it. And all three of them are saying something different. And it's like, well, which one of these is the truth? It's a difficult time. How many people here turn to Google? To try to find the truth about things. How many people you know go to Google? Or how about Wikipedia? Whenever I was a kid, we had to ask somebody who knew 
We, a teacher or some, an expert in a situation where we went to a library and got out the encyclopedias and we tried to do our research that way. But now with a mouse click, you can go and have at your, your fingertips vast resources of knowledge, many of them claiming to be experts in knowing the truth and not many of them agreeing with each other. Have you noticed that? Uh, how many people have you heard claim that they're just following the science? At the root of that is something very noble. There's, a, there's again, you see the struggle, can't you? You can see the leap. I want to know the truth. So I'm going to follow the science. And that sounds like that's smart. Like that would be the thing to do. And I'm not against science. Please, I, I know sometimes right now in our society there's this claim that Christianity and science are at, at odds with each other. I totally disagree with that. I don't think there's a conflict between science and Christianity, but that's not my lesson today. My lesson today is about this passage we're going to get into. But during COVID, when it first broke out and after things started shutting down and things were going kind of crazy, how many times did you hear, because I heard it a lot, people saying, well, I'm just following the science. Because there were people very much disagreeing about what the best way to deal with COVID was. Do you remember the early days whenever people were spraying antiseptic on everything? On everything. I was uh, doing a part-time job where I was doing delivery.com. And so people would order food from a restaurant and I would go grab it and I would take it to them. And I was delivering several different lunches to a bank. And as I walked in, there was one of the tellers with, with Lysol. Just spraying everything. And as I walked in, she looked at me and she sprayed me <laughs> from head to foot. I guess I just looked kind of germy. <laughs> I don't know. But then we, we started realizing, well, that's not necessary. And there was debates about whether or not we needed to do that. There were some people that would buy their groceries and then wash everything as they brought it into the house. And there were scientists, supposedly, who were saying that that's the best way to go forward. And others who were disagreeing. I used to hear people say all the time, well, I'm just following the science. And they almost always did that because they were defending a position that they were taking. But what I noticed is I never heard that from a scientist. Everybody that I talked to, they weren't doing the science. They were listening to a science, a scientist. They were, they were accepting as authoritative and truthful some scientist. But the scientists, did they all agree? Have scientists ever always agreed? I think since Newton dropped an apple, that might have been the last time there was a real consensus broadly amongst all scientists. But scientists disagree. And so you had some people that would address COVID based on this scientist, and they'd say, I'm following the science. And someone else would address it entirely different and say, but I'm following the science because another scientist had said something completely different. And guess what would happen between these people? They would argue and become divisive. And I saw lots of heartache and lots of broken relationships over people trying to follow the science. What was happening is people were just choosing which scientist they wanted to believe for whatever personal reasons they had. Does that make sense? Uh, not to be controversial here, but the issue of the mask being worn. There were some people who quoted scientists and following the science for wearing a mask. Others 
who quoted other scientists and pointed to saying, I'm following the science for why they wouldn't wear a mask. Uh, I'm not saying one is right or the other. My point is to point out that it's not always easy to know the truth and who's telling the truth. And sometimes the sources that we think would be the most reliable aren't always the most reliable. Sometimes they don't have a consensus. And so people will by and large choose what they want to believe. Well, what about this? Uh, the phrase, my truth, your truth. Boy, has that ever gotten popular. You hear that one a lot? The first time that I heard the phrase, my truth, and I don't know, maybe I was slow to get it. First time that I ever heard anybody use that was in the movie Couples Retreat with Vince Vaughn. Anybody else watch that one? Do you remember the scene where uh, he's, they're trying to swim across the bay and there's like a, a dolphin that brushes up next to him? And he comes out claiming that he survived a shark attack. And as his friends are trying to say, you did, that wasn't a shark. He says, I know my truth. I know my truth. And it was funny. And it was, it was, I'm not doing it justice, but it was a funny moment in the movie because I thought how absurd. My truth. I thought that's why they wrote the script that way. And then lo and behold, I start hearing people say that commonly. My truth. Huh. What about the truth? What about the truth? See, all these things that I've just been trying to lay out, I'm trying to make a case for how difficult it is to know what the truth is in our world right now. And I feel sorry for the younger crowd coming up because they're dealing with an overload of information that some of us older people had never had to deal with. And because there is such divisiveness and such diversity in what these so-called experts call the truth, we have a generation, maybe a couple of generations of people who do not know where to find truth. Because everybody they talk to and every link they, they, they click on claims that they know the truth and none of them agree. And so they feel frustrated. Anybody here identify with that dilemma? Yeah, it's going on. Like I said, I have trouble just with the evening news, knowing who to listen to and who to believe. And where I get frustrated with the state of our of our world, there's a verse that comes back to me that helps. It's found in John 14, verse 6. Jesus made this one little statement here that is so powerful. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's focus in just on, on the middle part of that. I am the truth. Boy, you want to talk about an audacious claim. But Jesus is the truth. And if that statement is true, then it also explains why he can say, I am the way. And it also explains why he can say, I am the life. See, Jesus is the truth. Can we know the truth? Yeah, that's, that is a, a question that has layers to it. But Jesus said, I am the truth. And I find that whenever I'm confused about what the truth is, if I start with Jesus, things begin to become clearer. Things begin to unknot themselves. But if Jesus is the truth, not your truth or my truth, but if Jesus is the truth, what does that say about things that we were just talking about? Things like your truth, things like my truth, or any of those other sources of truth. 
If Jesus is the truth, what does it say about those? Well, I've found a couple things, I think. And you're, I'll, I'll share them with you. You can make your own decision on it. But I think one of the things it says is that any other truth, any truth other than the truth, is competing with Jesus for my loyalty. If you're ever confronted with something that you believe is the truth, isn't it an appeal for your loyalty? And so whenever I say that's my truth, I'm asking you to be loyal to my truth. Whenever I say science is the truth, and again, I'm not anti-science, please don't hear that. That's not what I'm saying. But if I'm claiming that science is the truth, then I'm asking for some loyalty to that truth. Make sense? Any truth other than the truth is competing with Jesus, who is the truth, for my loyalty. The second thing I think it says is that knowing the truth will require me to surrender my truth and any other truth that competes for my loyalty. Knowing the truth will require me to surrender my truth and any other truth that competes for my loyalty. If CNN says something that Jesus has already affirmed, is there a problem embracing it? No. If science comes up with something and it affirms what I already know, know, Jesus said the same thing, my loyalty isn't challenged. But whenever someone tells me that something's true that Jesus said is not true, now what happens? My loyalty is being challenged And I am being called to choose one over the other because the truth about truth is it's very intolerant. Truth says this is right, therefore everything else is wrong. And what a divisive world we live in with all these different sources of truth competing. And yet what we have from Jesus is the ability to get to the truth. But it is going to require me to surrender those other truths to embrace him. Okay, said all that just to set the stage for a conversation that's recorded between Jesus and some people in John 8. The, 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 the quote that we started off with, the truth will make you free, is found in this conversation. But one of the things I think that makes Bible study effective is when we read things in context. In sermons, we don't always have the time to fully read everything in context the way that we would like to. But we, in your notes, we always give you those quotes hoping that you will look at them in context, read what's happened before, what happens afterwards, to make sure we didn't put a spin on something and make it sound like something it didn't really say. But in this morning's lesson, what I wanted to do is I wanted to read in context for us this conversation where Jesus talks about the truth setting you free. So let's get into it. John 8, verses 31 through 47. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, Okay, we're going to stop. <laughs> Already there's something that I'd like for you to circle. If you, if you have the mind to circle in your notes, circle who believed in him. Because that's part of the context of this statement. Jesus is talking to people who believed in him. Have I twisted that or misrepresented it? Seems pretty plain to me. He's speaking to people who believe in him. That's what it says. Been written down that way for 2,000 years. But listen to how this conversation goes. He says, you are truly my disciples if 
Again, another thing about Bible study is anytime you see the word if, it ought to catch your attention because there's something coming on the backside of that if that's in question, right? You're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Now, this is to people who believed in him. In this room, is there anybody, how many people here believe in Jesus? Yeah, almost universally. So he could be saying this to us. We're the same type of crowd. We believe in him. But did you catch how tense he just made the conversation? He just said, you're truly my disciples, which means that people who believe in him might not truly be his disciples. Ouch. Because here's some truth that we're going to have to get a, get a grip on. We can claim to believe in Jesus and not truly be his disciples. And I think we have a lot of that going on in America right now. If you're true, you're truly my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teachings. So now comes the statement that we wanted to pull out. He says, and if you do that, if you do that, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I added the words, <laughs> if you do that, then. But you see that. You see the leap I took to paraphrase it. Jesus has got a conditional statement here. You're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And if you're truly my disciples, you hold to my teachings, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Okay, this is a big... It's a big if, isn't it? We struggle in our society right now with knowing the truth. But Jesus here promises that if you're really his disciples, and that means following his teachings and holding on to them, not shaving some off, not saying I'll do this but not that, but if you really follow his teachings, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So how did the, the people who believed in him respond to Jesus making this big, heavy statement? says in verse 33 that they objected. Their comeback was, but we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. And yet, some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you're following the advice of your father. Abraham is our father, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really the children of Abraham... You would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you're imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. This is getting tense. This is getting heated, isn't it? Jesus told them, 
If God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. Of the top ten things that you do not want to hear Jesus say to you, that's got to be at the top. You're children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Wow. And this is to a group of people who believed in him. Just like we have right here in this room today. Okay, so this is going to take a little bit of unpacking, I would think. What we have here is a group of people who believed in Jesus, but not all of them knew the truth or were experiencing freedom. And unless they changed something... Unless they made a different decision, they weren't going to know truth and they weren't going to experience freedom. And so Jesus says these things that sound really hard, but they were in a bad space. They were in a bad place. And he had to get their attention if he was going to help them. And sometimes that's the way the truth works. It comes across hard and harsh sometimes. But that's what it takes to know the truth and to be free. So, how can I know the truth and be free? I mean, I think that's the question we would want to deal with, right? How can I know the truth? And how can I be free and experience this freedom Jesus is talking about? I got four things for you. I'm sure that there are more in this passage. But I'm going to share four for you to consider. The first one is, I can choose freedom in Christ. I can choose it. Before Jesus, nobody could choose it. Think about that for a second. Nobody could just choose freedom before Jesus. And since Jesus, there's nobody who can't choose freedom. We can choose freedom. Jesus said in John 8, 34, we just read it. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. What does that mean to be a slave of sin? We don't have slavery in our face the way that a couple of hundred years ago, people in this country had it in their face. So it's more of a history book kind of a thing. Although slavery is not banned worldwide, there are people who are actual slaves in different countries. It's just we don't see it a lot here. We hear of sex slaves and other kinds of underground forms of slavery. The thing about a master is a master gets to say who you really are. You might be the most brilliant doctor or mathematician or whatever, 
and your master gets to say, but I want you laying brick. Or I want you digging ditches and you don't get to refuse. A master gets to say when you eat, when you don't, how long you live, if you'll live. And sin does the same kind of thing to us. It keeps us bound through addictions, different kinds of bondages, through so many examples. But I think you guys get the point. There was a time whenever we had a master who said what we would do and where our lives would go and how things would turn out. But now there is another master with more power who's already paid the price so that I don't have to have that kind of a cruel master anymore. I can choose real freedom in Christ. In Romans 6.16, Paul said, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. How many of us have a personal, intimate idea of what it means to be a slave to sin? Caught up in something that we couldn't control and we couldn't stop doing. Or a situation that we couldn't get out of. Surely you can understand why Jesus calls sin slavery and why Paul says you become a slave to whatever you obey. But we got a choice. That's what Jesus is offering the believers who are listening to him in John 8. And that's what Paul's talking about to the Romans. He says you can be a slave to sin, but you can choose to obey God. But get this, choosing to be a slave to God leads to righteous living. Anybody who tells you, you can just pray a prayer and say, I want Jesus as my Savior and not have to live righteously, I think has got a problem with what Jesus has to say. That could be out of ignorance, or it could be because they've got a preference. But our job is to look for the truth. What does Jesus have to say about it? Joshua, you remember the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, right? What were they in Egypt? They were slaves. Do you recall reading, if you've you've ever read through, them leaving Egypt? Do you recall the time whenever they were like, we want to go back? They wanted to go, some of them wanted to go back into slavery. Sometimes that happens to us in Christ, too. Sometimes we like our demons. Sometimes we like sin. Sometimes we like the bad relationships. Sometimes we're happy in our misery. Well, in Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15, Joshua said, Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates rivers and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Again, for most of human history, the choice really wasn't ours. But in Jesus, there is nobody who can't choose freedom. There's nobody who sinned so bad that they can't choose freedom. 
There's no addiction, no bondage, no bad circumstance that can keep you from experiencing the freedom that you can choose in Jesus. And that is good news. See, there's a new kingdom, a new king. There's a new sheriff in town. And his name is Jesus. And what he has done is amazing. What else can I do to know truth and be free? Number two is I can commit to discipleship. I can commit to discipleship. Anybody here not know what discipleship is? Okay, maybe that's the wrong kind of question to ask in a crowd like this. Let me just tell you briefly what it is. It is a commitment to learn like an apprentice would to do the job of the one you are being discipled by. Jesus is our discipler. He is the model. All of us are apprentices. Learning how to do what? Be like Jesus. And I got to tell you, I know some very righteous guys who've been walking with the Lord for a long time and they're very different than the men and the women that they used to be and none of them are exactly like Jesus yet. But many of them are able to help me learn at least as much as they've learned in my effort to become like Jesus. Anybody here else had that experience? I've also had the occasion whenever I have chosen not to be so committed to discipleship. Where people who loved me and took a chance to tell me the truth about the things I was thinking or the things that I was doing, uh, I didn't really want to listen to them. Because I wasn't committed to the kind of surrender of my will and my preferences and my future that it was going to be required to actually commit to discipleship. There was a time in my life whenever I realized that if I'm going to be committed, like Jesus says to be committed, I'm going to be putting in question whether or not I'm going to have any money or what I do for a living. And there was a time where I thought I had those answers in place. And so someone who said, yeah, but you're on the wrong trail, this is not going to turn out the way that you think it's going to, it's likely to blow up on you because Jesus has told us such things, I wasn't a fan of those people. See, my problem was I was probably more like the people who just believed in Jesus but not necessarily committed to discipleship. And I hope I'm not the only one in this room who can identify that. Well, actually, I hope I am. I hope I am. But I suspect that all of us have had those moments where we weren't that committed to discipleship. Back to what Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32. You're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Not just some of them. Not just some some teachings. I think he means all of his teachings. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The answer to bondages, addictions, and sin is discipleship. Did I make that up? Again, I feel like I'm in, a, in an itchy spot this morning because I'm here challenging the very notion of truth and how we know what something's true, and I'm assuming that I'm telling you the truth. I've studied this and I'm convinced that it's true, but I want to show you these passages and let you decide for yourselves as cleanly and clearly as I can because truth is going to make you make a decision. You can be sincerely wrong wherever you don't know the truth, but once you know the truth, 
you will forever either be sincere or wrong. You can't be sincerely wrong anymore. You're either going to be wrong or you're going to repent and turn to the truth. So Jesus says to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Then you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Discipling is that key to knowing the truth and experiencing freedom. Am I, am I twisting this verse? It almost looks like a math equation to me. It seems pretty clear, right? Again, if somebody has told you that you don't really have to worry about following Jesus completely, that seems to be a different truth than what the truth is, what the truth has said. I'm not talking about being perfect. We'll get to that in a minute. We all struggle. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's let the Bible speak where it speaks. Let's let Jesus have his way. And this is what he says. The reality is discipling takes time. And so does knowing the truth and experiencing freedom. How many of you have been baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins and you've committed your life and your way to following Jesus? How many here this morning? Did anybody have an immediate light switch effect where all of a sudden after you dried off or at some point, you just do what Jesus wanted you to do and you were able to do it? Yeah, I've never yet met the person who would tell me that that's the case because the norm is that, no, it takes time. Are you not saved until you're perfect? Of course not. But knowing the truth takes some time. Even Jesus' apostles didn't understand everything right away. One of them, Peter, said this in uh, chapter 3 of Second Peter, verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If there was a light switch effect where we become Christians and we all of a sudden know everything we're supposed to do and we're able to do it, there wouldn't be a command to grow, would there? So it presumes that there's going to be a process to following Jesus and that discipleship starts someplace and grows. But it starts with choosing to be committed to discipleship. Discipling and learning to become like Jesus doesn't just happen overnight. In John 16, 12 through 13, Jesus said to his apostles, who would be his apostles, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So I take comfort from this because I still feel like there's just so much I don't really understand yet. So many things that I don't truly get. But if the apostles who walked with him for three years, who were trained by him personally, if he could say to them, I still have so much more to teach you, but you can't bear it, then I think maybe I'm okay. I'm in good company. And so are you. How many of you have felt like, because I don't know all the answers to all the questions, I need to keep my mouth shut? How many of us have gotten stifled rather than standing up for the truth we don't think we know enough of it to tell what we do know there's no reason for that 
This was never about how much you knew or I knew. This was always about who we knew. Because Jesus being the truth, he is a person. He's real. It's a relationship. And a relationship with the truth is one that causes us to grow and changes us over time. I've often had this thought too. The Lord has changed me much. I've been a Christian now over 40 years. The Lord has changed me a lot. But if we could ever just have a conversation where I can actually talk to him in real time and hear his voice, that does not happen to me. You know, I don't hear his voice in my head. Uh, I, I read, I talk to people that know him, I try to figure it out that way. But if he could ever just say, okay, Alan, here's all the stuff you've got wrong. About the Bible, about my walk, you know, the, all that stuff that goes on in my head when nobody's around. If he could tell me everything I had wrong and everything I didn't know, I couldn't take it. I would be so crushed and defeated and humiliated that I would probably be desperate. And I'm grateful that he doesn't give it to me all at once. The changes sometimes are so huge that I would think I would never be able to do it. And yet, what's what you're saying, Bob? Uh, yard by yard, that's way too hard. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. And I think the Holy Spirit does that for us. He gives it to us a little bit at a time. And so, yeah, you will not ever meet a perfect Christian. But you can meet a committed disciple who is apprenticing and changing slowly over time. And those people will tell you that they are knowing the truth more now than they did somewhere back. And that they're experiencing more freedom than they used to. And that's a choice that we can make. I can make that choice. I can choose to be committed to discipleship because of what Jesus did on the cross and what he did at the resurrection. He's opened a door for us that was never able to be opened any other way. Number three, I can refuse to be offended by the truth. I can refuse to be offended by the truth. Well, we talk about being offended a lot these days, don't we? It seems like being offended is one of the worst sins you can commit in America. Or being offensive, I should say it that way. Being offensive is one of the worst things you can do. It's it's unforgivable. But wow, what a kaleidoscope of different toes and feelings that can get hurt so easily. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that statement has offended somebody. Anybody here been offended yet? <laughs> If not, hang on, I'm getting close to the end, but there's more for me to say, so there's more opportunity to be offended. It is almost impossible for you to experience life at this cultural moment where we are that someone will not offer to offend you. But you don't have to accept it. Just because somebody wants to offend you doesn't mean that you have to take offense. Is truth offensive? I have some some friends, some ex-neighbors. They're they're atheists. I love them dearly. They're great people. You would love them too. I'm always talking with them about Jesus. But one of the things I had to say to them, I think, that took them back was, I get it. I know Christianity is offensive. I know that it is. But it's also true. 
If you're laboring under the idea that you can somehow be a Christian and not be offensive, I don't think that's true. Now, there is such a thing as being needlessly offensive. And and we need to work hard not to be needlessly offensive. That's how a whole other lesson could be a lesson series, and you probably need someone better and sharper than me to teach it. But when you claim that Jesus is the truth, like we've been talking about this morning, like we've been singing about this morning, like we've been praying about this morning, that is offensive to the world around us. Always has been. That's nothing new. Truth is offensive, but I don't have to be offended by the truth. Has anybody here ever told you something about your walk with Jesus and you took offense? You need to quit working there. How dare you? You don't need to be in that relationship. I hate you. (laughs) On and on and on it goes. We can get offended so easily by the truth. Isn't that what happened to the believers that Jesus is talking to? They start off, the first thing they did was they objected. They said in verse 33, we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. They first started by objecting. And usually this is where our offense at discipling and people trying to help us disciple begins. We start with an objection. We try to deny the reality of where we really are. Isn't that what's happening with these people? Because if you check your history, these people have forgotten that they were once a slave nation in Egypt. Well, that was a big, huge part. I mean, they, they celebrated that and talked about it every year. But whenever they're confronted with the truth, what do they do? They tell a lie. We've never been slaves. Of course you've been slaves. They also seem to have forget, forgotten the fact that they were at that moment under Roman occupation. So the moxie that these believers in Jesus had to deny the reality of their present situation seems incredible, doesn't it? And yet it seems awfully common to us today. They weren't willing to admit their real circumstances, and sometimes we aren't either. Not only did these people who believed in Jesus at that moment object to what Jesus said, they took offense when Jesus tried to tell them the truth. Jesus called them out on it. Verse 36, he says, some of you are trying to kill me for telling you the truth. Now you're ready to kill me. Why? Because there's no room in your heart for my message. See, that's one of the differences between someone who believes in Jesus and someone who's a committed disciple. A committed disciple is constantly working to clear out room in their heart for Jesus' teachings. And apparently, Jesus is dealing with people who believe in him who weren't willing to do that. And so when he tells them the truth, rather than being grateful, they're offended. They're offended to the point that they'd rather shoot the messenger than embrace the truth. And how many times have we done that with people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who've tried to help us see where we really are in a situation But we're not really committed to discipleship, so we get offended and we want to kill the relationship. We want to stop connecting, stop loving, stop listening. We're not that different today than the crowd that Jesus was talking to. In Galatians 4, 16, Paul said, Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? 
Anybody here ever felt like that? You stick your neck out, not because you're on a power trip, but because you love somebody enough to risk it and you tell them the truth that they need to hear and they treat you like the enemy. That hurts, doesn't it? But I don't really think I have the room to complain about people having done that to me because I've done it to other people too. And I think what Jesus says in Matthew 7 is, uh, you know what, the way you treat other people is the way you should expect to be treated. So this is one of the dynamics. But it doesn't have to be that way. I can choose not to be offended. Number four, I'm wrapping it up here, is I can choose. How, how do I know the truth and experience freedom? Number four, I can reject the wisdom of deceivers. Anybody here know a deceiver? I mean, if you know someone who's like a, a born liar, they tell wildfire lies, you just know that they're lying if they're talking. That's one category of deceiver. But there's those other people. I used to be a cop. And whenever I would investigate crimes, the best liars were the ones who told mostly the truth. But they knew just which detail to leave out or to embellish or to shade just a little bit to deceive. Why would they do that? For personal reasons. (laughs) But they wanted me to embrace it because they wanted to control me. Isn't that what deceivers always do? They want to keep you in the dark because it gives them power over you. If a criminal could convince me he's not a criminal or she's not a criminal, they get to go free. I could probably think of other examples, but you probably can think of plenty and you don't need me. I can reject the wisdom of deceivers. Colossians 2.4, Paul said, and by the way, this is nothing new. These dynamics have been going on forever. 2,000 years ago, Paul writes this to some Christians just like us in Colossae. And he says, I tell you this so that No one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Boy, that could be ripped from today's headlines, couldn't it? How many fine-sounding arguments are there? How many of you have, in one context or another, had a conversation about abortion and abortion laws recently? That's a big one that's, that's out there and really percolating. Have you found it sometimes confusing? It's like they almost sound like they have a point. They almost sound like they have a point. Oh, wait a second. How do I respond to that? Well, I can reject the wisdom of deceivers. In 1 Corinthians, and that's not the only thing that, the only fine-sounding argument that we're dealing with these days, right? I mean, there's the whole question of gender. Did any of us ever think that we would live to see a day whenever... You cannot get people to say what a woman is. I don't know about you guys, but I see that as an attack on womanhood. Because if anybody can be a woman, then there's nothing special about being a woman. I think there's something very special about being a woman. How do I come to that conclusion? Jesus seemed to say that there's something very special about being a woman. In fact, whenever God created humankind in Genesis, he looked at the job and went, yeah, I can do better. In order to fully reflect and image God in this world, Adam needed a helper. And they didn't give him another guy. 
He went through all the animals looking for someone who could help him with his job of, re- of reflecting God and ruling in God's name over creation. And none of them worked out. And God said, yep, take a nap. And what did he come up with? Came up with woman. And I think we live in a society that's got a full-on attack on women. And they make fine-sounding arguments. That's really my point. They make fine-sounding arguments, and it's easy to be deceived. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul told the Corinthians, he says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, all over the country right now, you've got preachers standing in pulpits who want to say that's not exactly true. I would love it if it wasn't true. Because I would, I would like it to be a, I'd like the bar to follow Jesus to be very, very low. So that I didn't have to divide from anybody. But I'm not given, and neither are you or anybody else, given permission to change the truth to fit my preferences. I'm supposed to say what Jesus said. He commissioned this guy. Picked him out special. If you don't know the story of Paul, you should look into that. We'll talk about it sometime. But this guy, was authorized to speak for Jesus and trained to do so. And he said this, and we're supposed to accept those that Jesus sends because if we reject the people that Jesus sends, it's like rejecting Jesus. Accepting his apostles is accepting him. And Paul said, don't listen to the smooth, fine-sounding arguments that say that you can be a Christian and still be immoral. It doesn't matter if you're sleeping with somebody you're not married to. The whole gender thing, homosexuality, heterosexuality. You can just stop with the, if I'm not married to somebody. But he does cover the homosexuality. He says it doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. And yet there are people with fine-sounding arguments. They'll want to twist what the original languages are and tell you that what the Bible says is not really what this Bible means. And by the way, if someone here has struggled with one of these, and boy, there's a bunch of them. It's not just about sex here. He tells the Corinthians, he says, after he lays this heavy truth on him, he says, and that's what some of you were. They didn't know the truth. They weren't experiencing freedom. But they chose freedom in Jesus. They committed to being disciples. They refused to be offended How do I know those things are true? Because you cannot get to the place where Paul says, you used to be these things, but now you're not, if you don't commit to those. And what are they finding? Freedom. Redemption. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, you can choose. You can choose not to be offended. And you can choose to reject the wisdom of deceivers. But it's not always people... We don't know or other people who lie to us, is it? it? Anybody here ever deceived themselves? I've lied to myself before. I think that's something we have to guard against, but it's not unique to any one of us. Again, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, verse 18, stop deceiving yourselves. See, sometimes we can deceive ourselves. 
He says, if you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. And I see it all the time where Christians are trying to find the way to be politically correct in our cultural moment. And they're trying to blend Christianity with what it seems to be acceptable to the world around us. And it doesn't work. You're deceiving yourself if you think you can play that game. Why? Because verse 19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. By the way, Paul doesn't say the wisdom of the world, worldly wisdom is not wisdom. It is a wisdom. Wisdom is wherever you do this and you think it's going to turn out like that. You, you, you seem to know. If I hit my finger, if I hold this nail and I hit it really hard with a hammer and I hold it like this, it's going to turn out bad. Right? That's wisdom. Some of us had learned that by going, ah, and the bad fingers, the broken tips of the fingers. But there's a worldly wisdom out there. It's just not godly wisdom. And so some of the things that people around us who aren't disciples, who are still in bondage, even if they're sitting in this crowd right now, what they say may sound like a fine argument. And it may be indeed a worldly wisdom. But that's not the same thing as godly wisdom. And you can deceive yourself. Paul said, stop deceiving yourselves. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. You ever know someone who thought they were way too smart? Way too clever? I've been that guy. And then had it blow up on me. Again, I don't think I'm, I'm alone. I feel like we're just touching the, 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 the first couple of layers of what's in this passage that we could dig out, but we are out of time. And I just wanted to give you some things to let you know. You can know freedom. You can know the truth. It's a confusing world. It's a confusing time that we live in. But it's not unique. There are some things that are different for our generation and our place in our time, but the principles that are at play have been in play for 2,000 years or longer. But we can choose to know the truth and we can experience freedom. Jesus has made that possible for us. We've all learned to live in this world by following its rules. Some of us have spent more time living according to the rules of this world than we have learning how to live according to the kingdom's rules and serving the king. And so it should naturally make sense that it's going to take time to figure out the differences and to make the adjustments in our thinking and in our action so that we embrace the truth. And a lot of us have the scars to prove that we've been deceived by worldly wisdom. And we have the heartache that we can share and the things that don't just go away. And we live with those, but yet we have a God who binds those things up and makes them better. The Son has set us free. We don't have to be deceived anymore. We can know the truth. We can experience freedom. And we can do more than just believe in Jesus. We can be his disciples. We can follow his teachings. And we can make better decisions that bring better outcomes. And I hope that you guys will come back for the next lesson series because we're going to be talking about those decisions and how to make decisions that make a difference. And whether it's direct or indirect, I don't know how Tim is going to address each one of these lessons that he's that he's working on right now but it's going to come down to these fundamentals am i going to choose the truth and the freedom it brings 
Or am I going to just be someone who believes in Jesus and is offended by the truth and is trapped in bad decisions that we keep making over and over and over again? Sin's not your master anymore, guys. Sin does not get to say what happens to you or how this all turns out or what you can be used for or what your purpose is going to be. Jesus has overcome sin. With that, I'd like to pray. And we're going to call it a morning. Heavenly Father, thank you again for loving us and for providing for us the ability to make choices. That we don't have to be slaves anymore. We were never able to, pur- to purchase our own freedom. We were never able to find freedom on our own. But Father, you've set us free. Just on the basis of us declaring our loyalty to Jesus. But Father, I pray that you'll help us to take it more seriously than ever. We live in a world that is so intolerant of people who make this decision to be real disciples. And we get, we get so much opposition. And it can be so frustrating. But it's never been more important that we embrace the truth. And that we learn how to tell the truth the way that Jesus did. There are going to be times that people are offended with us telling that truth and living that truth. Father, I pray that you'll help us to never justify being needlessly offensive because Jesus never did that. And the people who disagreed with him, he still loved them. Father, help us to love like Jesus, to be more like him, to think like him, to act like him. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll use us to show the reality that Jesus is the truth and that people can choose him. We love you, Father, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.